Greetings, First Church of the Nazarene. It is another day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice in it. I uh, love the fact that God is still in control. The seasons are winding, changing, and we've got daffodils coming. We've got lawns to fix. We've got sunshine. We've got birds, and creation is wonderful. But what is even more wonderful is that Jesus Christ is ours. We can praise Him with all of our being. I want to thank you for your continued faithfulness, um, for your giving. You have been giving so faithfully. And in this time, we have found that our staff is doing things differently. You will notice a different background behind me today because we have some people who are repainting our foyer, giving it a new look. Our staff are doing things from their home and finding that the uh, media is uh, giving a different side to ministry. Be uh, well aware that children's ministry, Awana, is still carrying on, that the youth ministry is still carrying on. They are learning what works, what doesn't work, and so they're having to have the imagination and creativity that the Lord has given us. Be prayerful for them. We also know that having social media makes the body language and half of us feel a little bit differently. And so doing things this way it requires your resources, and so your continued giving uh, is necessary. It is not just a building. It is a matter of us meeting in community, no matter how that look, which builds the kingdom of God for which we are thankful. Today I'm going to be giving the scripture as uh, Rob Snow will be delivering the message after. Our scripture is found from Luke 24, starting with verse 36 through to the end of the chapter. And uh, I would invite you to carry along with us in reading. And then after that, I will lead us in a pastoral prayer. Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures, and he told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, 
stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can praise your name because of the gift of Jesus. Because he is sitting at your right hand and you have bestowed your spirit upon us so that we have the power to be that which you require us and want us to be. You have loved us so deeply. You have given of your own son, of your own self. And for that, we just ask that we would just be so enlightened by your spirit that we'd be aware of the risen Christ in a new and special way. We thank you that we can still meet together even though we're not physically together. We thank you for the wonders of spring. We thank you for the wonders of joy of knowing that you are in control. Lord, we are a blessed people. We do have our needs. We do have those things that plague us. But we know that within us we have that power through your Spirit to look to the glory that is to come. You have said, and Paul has said in Romans 8, that this present suffering is nothing in comparison to the glory that we possess as a witness, as a bit of a deposit to that which is going to come in the future. And we look forward to it, dear Jesus. We thank you that we are able to protect the vulnerable in the long-term care centers and those at home who are sick by our social distancing, Lord. We thank you that our leaders have been able to persuade us and to help us and that the economy has made it so just to protect them. And for that, we are so, so grateful. But in the same token, Lord, at the same breath, these vulnerable are exposed by the bill through the Ministry of Justice which had, had its first reading in February before things were closed down, where the shields for euthanasia will be taken away, Lord. That anyone can be killed without full consent at that moment in time as long as they've given consent before in their lifetime. That they do not need to be close to death that is going to be deemed an essential health service, even though palliative care is not even that. Lord, we are perverted people. We are schizophrenic. I sometimes wonder how you could still love us when we're such people like this. And yet underneath, you are slow to anger. You have deep compassion. And you sought us with your son because you wanted communion with us. Lord, other examples of our unworthiness, examples of what happened in Nova Scotia this week. 
Each of us has that element of evil within us which needs to be taken away and crucified on the cross just as Christ did. We pray for the survivors. We pray for those who have to mourn. We pray for those who are still under fear from what has transpired, Lord. Give them of your grace. Give them of your comfort. And may your spirit speak deep to them. Today we pray. Lord, we thank you for what you have been doing within our congregation. We thank you for the gift of life, for what you have done for uh, baby Emmett, who's no longer really a baby. We thank you for what you've done for Dennis Kofel and his uh, surgery. We thank you for what you have done for others who have been able to leave the hospital with a measure of health and life to continue to live that purpose that you have given them, Lord. We do pray for those who are grieving at this time. We think of the Clark family and Jean Dibb family. And Lord, we do ask that you would indeed be with those who are sick in hospital. Lawrence Day, whether he's still there or not, we know that he's had uh, some injury and needed care. We think of Meyer Davidson's niece as well, dear Lord. And in amongst our midst here, we do know that there are not only those who are vulnerable from the virus, but are affected by the virus, feeling the social isolation. May, O oh Lord, your hand of comfort come upon them and be ever your, theirs. We thank you for the fact that we have a a telecare and a leadership in our church who does care. May, O oh God, uh, the arms reach out not only to those who we have in our fellowship, but to others as well. And if we would feel the prompting of the Spirit to share this link through the email with others than those in our congregation, may we do it with gratitude and prayer that we can indeed share words of hope, words of life. We pray for those with school kids, Lord, who are finding it hard to get everything done. And it is a bit of a quirk to think that we've been limiting screen time and now we just can't get enough of it for the whole family through schooling, through Sunday school, through children's ministry, through church, through talking with family and friends. Lord, we do pray for those who are needing more social contact and not getting it, and the special needs of those we think particularly of Sam Mack at this point in time. Lord, we, we pray that you would be the intervening person in their lives to bring resources that are not even of our understanding, but come from the power that only you can provide. Lord, there are some special needs as well some unspoken ones. And many of us love to come forward to the altar in our church with the humbleness of being able to kneel, take away that pride and take away that spirit of protecting ourselves with a, a mask. Just lay it before you. 
or to kneel and give just such gratitude we cannot do it standing. We give them all to you today, Lord, with the knowledge that you understand even more deeply than they do what the root and what the true need is. We give this all to you. Hands open, gifting to you, turning our hands over and letting it fall at the foot of the cross. Do be with Rob Snow as he presents the message that it will indeed, indeed be words that will enlighten us, encourage us, convict us, and bring us closer to you, the one who is the author of all life. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you and to share with you from God's Word. In times of difficulty and trial, it's sometimes difficult to discern where God is in the midst of those circumstances. As life gets harder and hope begins to fade for a resolution, life can become quite difficult. You might remember that I have a dog, and that dog, as I like to refer to it, I just can't get away from because I'm confined to my home and have been since March 16th working at home and and uh, for the last six weeks I've had a lot of close contact with Flynn and Jen assures me that it's okay as he just wants to show love and receive love but I'm like why does he have to shed so much hair while he does this so that's kind of one little difficulty that I have albeit trivial, but it's real to me. But more seriously, we're in a current situation with COVID-19 that does not seem to have a clear end in sight. When will things return to normal? And all the while, this virus continues to take many casualties and is ruining many livelihoods. It's not hard to find story after story about this in, in the media. In fact, a, a geneticists who studies genetic biology at Ambrose mentioned to me this week that there are 19 different strains of COVID-19, which makes finding a vaccine that much more difficult. And then this past weekend in my home province of Nova Scotia, there was mass shootings that unfolded. And I've been to many of those places that have uh, been mentioned in the media and the folks who wandered out of their homes that night and uh, to see what was going on in one case only to be gunned down that would have been the last thing on their mind that this indeed was something that was happening within their own quiet communities and and I'm sure you can think of your own personal struggles and trials that you might uh, be going through right now where it where life just seems difficult and I want to talk to us today a word, with a word of encouragement that in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial, God can show up in sometimes very surprising ways. And so we want to look at some verses in Luke 24 to see where God is with us. 
But then there are those times when we go through trials and difficulty and we may not sense the presence of God. Uh, the sense of darkness and despair doesn't seem to leave us, but yet when we come out the other side and we look back in hindsight, we see where the Lord was indeed involved in our situations. And so this I'm referring to as God behind us. So God with us, God behind us. And we see both of those aspects coming through this text where the disciples are uh, having a number of moments of epiphany, but it's in the midst of a lot of difficulty and despair. And we want to reflect upon and, and pray about how the Lord might similarly relate to us in those ways. So as we look at the early part of the passage, and Brian has spoken on this a bit last week already in verses 13 to 27, where the disciples are on the road to Emmaus and life is, uh, has not unfolded as they would expect. And, and uh, I refer to this section of, uh, as I'm going with the COVID-19 theme here, the disciples and their epidemic of disappointment. I call it an epidemic because the the sense of loss and disappointment just this seems to be centered around Jerusalem and some of uh, Jesus' closest followers. And uh, here, these two disciples, one of whom is named Cleopas, the other is unnamed, are lamenting the death of Jesus. And this Jesus who proved that he was this, indeed the son of David and a mighty prophet through word and deed, but now he's gone, he's dead. Was he not the one who was to restore and redeem Israel? Basically, to put everything that is wrong with Israel to rights. And a bit of a history lesson here, but during the time of Jesus, life in Israel is not as it should be. The promises made to Abraham that Israel will be a great and blessed nation, that she will be a blessing to others, well, that's not really come to fruition. The promise made of, by God to David that he will be, uh, that a descendant from him will reign on David's throne, well, that has not come to fruition. The law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, that if Israel remained obedient to those laws, she would, in fact, be a blessed nation, would receive the blessings of God, that she would be a, a, a holy kingdom, a royal priesthood. All of these things would, would come to fruition, but when you look at life during the time of Jesus for many Jews, there's more kind of defilement and disobedience to the law for a variety of reasons. Uh, many would say only the Pharisees are the ones that seem to do the best job at it. A sign that life is not right for most Jews living in Jerusalem is the fact that they're being reigned over uh, by a foreign pagan nation, and more directly by a group of elite Jews known as the Sadducees who go out of their way to please Rome any chance that they can get because that enables their position of power uh, to have stability and to be maintained. And so they'll collect taxes and, and uh, use the temple for their own ends as it is their power base to support their position. And so if they can do that and pay the taxes that Rome needs, life will be well. But that has come at a major cost for the average Jew within Jerusalem. So Jesus, when he goes into the temple, says, My host shall be called a host of prayer for all the nations. But you've made it a hideout of, of thieves, but worse than that in Greek, of, of insurrectionists, of people who are rebelling against the rule of Yahweh because of the way that they are behaving. 
So all throughout Palestine, there would be constant reminders that life is not as it should be. Even not far from Jesus' hometown in, um, in Galilee, uh, Sephoris and Tiberias, two, um, two larger cities were, were, were pagan cities, and, and yet they're in the land of Israel. So there's these constant reminders. And then finally, to top it all off, most Jews during the time of Jesus believed that the Babylonian exile that happened almost 600 years before this had not come to an end. We have evidence for this in the literature during the time of Jesus that many Jews, because of the reasons I've just stated, believe the exile started 500 years before has not ended. And what is exile? Exile is all about dislocation. It's about abandonment. It's about separation. It's about the loss of control of one's own time, one's own money, one's own resources. And that often will manifest itself in terms of a forced migration. Some of the Sudanese uh, people within our own uh, community here at First Church know firsthand about forced migration and, and exile because of the instability in their homeland of Sudan. So, so this is a very real thing that the Jews during the time of Jesus are experiencing. And to make matters worse, the groups of Jews, because of this dislocation and where is God in the midst of this, have taken matters into their own hands, and each group of Jew, from Sadducees to Pharisees to Essenes to Zealots, all have taken it upon themselves to decide how they can be faithful to God in the midst of these uncertainties and in the midst of life not being as it should be, with a goal to experiencing the things that God has promised in the Old Testament. So for the Pharisees, it's obedience to the law with ritual purity and going to great lengths with the hope that God's reign would be manifested through this. For the Essenes, the people that lived out in the Dead Sea area, it was, it was separating themselves completely from everyone else, viewing themselves as the true holy people of God and waiting for God's judgment to manifest it, itself and burn up those sons of darkness, those Sadducees in Jerusalem, burn up the Romans, and then finally they'll be the true people of God. So when the disciples talk about, wasn't he the one to redeem Israel, this is what they were talking about. This is what they wanted Jesus to do, is to come and fix and put to right all of the, the division, all of the injustice, all of the, um, the unrighteousness associated with being ruled by a pagan empire. There was so, on so many different levels, these disciples and the average Jew experienced exile and dislocation in life as it should not be. And, and, and if you look at the Gospels, these disciples still do not understand really why Jesus had to die until we get to Luke 24 here when Jesus opened their minds. There's two references to it about why the Messiah had to suffer and die and then be raised again. But they did not get it until after this fact. And so when, when these two disciples encounter Jesus on the road to uh, Emmaus, they're still wondering why did this guy die? This doesn't make any sense. He should have overthrown the enemies of Israel with the sword, with the might of God, and here he's just died. Where is God in this? Where is God behind this? How is God going to bring a sense of closure or a sense of, um, of, 
of understanding to these experiences of the disciples that seem so incomplete and so disappointing. So what about us in our pandemic of disappointment? And I use the word pandemic here because basically the whole world is in this period of, of flux, of uncertainty, of economic uncertainty, and, and where is God in the midst of this for us? Life in the world of COVID-19 is a, is a form of exile, a life where the freedoms that we once enjoyed are no longer available. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the distinction between this is a first world problem and maybe a developing or a third world problem. So for us, COVID-19, generally speaking in Western society, it's more on the level of we're not able to visit with friends and family in person, go shopping. I had written, then going to church. Going to church is more important than going to shopping. Don't get me wrong. And further down the list, even having Tim Hortons in Tim Hortons, which being a maritimer is very important. But more seriously, folks are being deprived of being with loved ones in their final moments if, if they are in a care home. Uh, if, if they're dying and, and have succumbed to the effects of, of uh, COVID-19. If for indigenous communities, for instance, there's a strong concern of, a, of an outbreak in those communities where the infrastructure is, is inadequate uh, from what we're used to. So, so this thing is, is hitting folks in the world on a variety of different levels, and, and all of which are, are some more serious than others, but serious nonetheless. So, going back to the disciples, let's move towards how do they come out of their epidemic? How do they come out of their disappointment and their despair? And then we'll talk about what this passage might mean for us coming out of our period of uncertainty and despair. Well, the disciples' disappointment didn't last long. Uh, the two eventually get a lot of clarity uh, when Jesus eats with them in 2431, and the text says their eyes were open and they recognized him. But Jesus doesn't stand, stay around much longer to unpack things. That's going to come later. It just says he vanished from their sight. And I bet they're thinking, oh yeah, that was him. He has risen. And still, though, if you look at the teaching Jesus gives in verses 26 and 27, while still on the road, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer, rise again, so on and so forth, I bet that still went in one ear and out the other. But when they sat with, at table with Jesus, breaking bread, uh, sharing with one another, the eyes of their heart became open. As Brian said, they had that Jesus encounter that changed all of that. And it's interesting, in the midst of despair, when they look back on this, that situation, after they ate at table with, with Jesus. Their eyes were opened. They say in verse 32, were our hearts not burning within us? Interesting. Even though they didn't have an understanding of, of why Jesus had to die, why are they in this moment of despair, even in the midst of that, they had a sense of the presence of God. It's kind of like their, their emotions pulled ahead of their intellect. And that's, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Their emotions went ahead of their intellect. See, in the Western world, we like to keep our intellect at the forefront. We have to understand before we can feel. It doesn't seem to be that way in the Scriptures. 
So these disciples go and report to Jesus everything um, that had happened, and they run to the other 11 in verse 36, and as they're talking about this to the other disciples, uh, all of a sudden Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And this is kind of one of those humorous moments of Scripture in verse 37. It's anything but peace. They are startled and terrified, and, and they think they are seeing a spirit, right? It's not really Jesus. It's, it's just the spirit of Jesus in some type of quasi-physical form. You know, it's, it's kind of like when you walk up behind somebody and they don't know that you're there and you're like, hey, Alyssa, just some random person's name that I'm pulling out of my head right now. Hey, Alyssa. And she's like, ah! That's kind of what happened to the disciples. I have a family member who I have to like, Start letting them know that I'm coming up behind them if they don't know that I'm there. And I'm like, hello, I'll leave the name blank. And then, but I still scare them anyway. And a screech comes out. Well, this is what happens here. So they're, they're absolutely terrified. Jesus has shown up. They are startled and terrified. They're thought that they're seeing a ghost. So it's like, wow, all of a sudden the disciples have a lot to process. It's one thing that Jesus didn't meet their expectations of delivering them from their current exile and disappointment, which has been going on for like 500 years, but now they have to grapple with the fact that this dead leader of theirs is now coming back to life. What does all of this mean? See, it's, you know, for us Christian people, the idea, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, hallelujah, he has risen, risen indeed. We, you know, we talk about that every year, but, but for, for these disciples, resurrection was not supposed to happen until Yahweh, until the Lord judges uh, the living and the dead at the end of time. And now this thing that was supposed to happen at the end has happened within their midst, and, and how are they going to unpack this? And so naturally, the disciples think that Jesus was a spirit. It's kind of like if you read Acts 12 where Peter, after he's in prison, shows up at the uh, house of John Mark or his mother's place and Rhoda, the angel, comes out and, and sees it's Peter and she's like, ah! And she runs back uh, in and, and uh, the family says, oh, <laughs> you're out of your mind. You're just seeing Peter's angel. Hmm. I think if somebody had told that to me, I might say to them, I think you're out of your mind. But anyway, it just shows you that the idea of people showing up unexpectedly when you think they're gone and dead in the flesh, it's hard to get your mind around. Your mind around. So Jesus assures himself that it is really him in the flesh. Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And the disciples respond in verse 41. Or Luke tells us, While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything to eat here? When you look at this passage in the Greek text, it's a, phrased a little differently than how it may show up in your English translations. It's literally something along this line, not literally something along, it is literally this. Still, while they, are, while they are disbelieving from joy and wondering, while they are disbelieving from joy, how can we make sense of that? Those are not kind of two emotional mental states that I would associate with one another. On the one hand, in that, 
joy gives rise to disbelief. But I think there's a lesson in here that helps us understand finding God in the midst of difficulty and finding God in such a way that it doesn't make sense intellectually. So these disciples are in the presence of Jesus. They don't understand why he had to die. They don't understand why he didn't fix everything that is wrong with the world as they see it in the way that they feel he should have. They're in this state of unbelief, of surprise that this dead man has come back in the flesh and is now standing before them. But all of a sudden, they experience joy. And it's like that joy is another way of talking about the presence of God. And we see this in the Scripture, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of joy. And there's a number of passages that talk about this. So, joy and the presence of God, are, they're very similar to one another. And so, in this context of joy that they're feeling in their hearts, just as, as the two disciples felt the presence of God in terms of their hearts burning within them as Jesus opened the Scriptures to them, in the midst of their difficulty, they're experiencing the presence of God, but their minds haven't caught up with it yet. And that's okay. And I think there's a lesson in this for us as God's people, that although we may not be able to make sense of our circumstances and the things that are unfolding around us, that doesn't stop God from reaching out to us in very real ways, very emotional ways. And in this time of COVID-19 where there's a lot of concern about the emotional and well-being of, of folks, and, and rightly so, we serve a God who still wishes to relate to us. And, and the thing about joy, it's not contingent upon our circumstances, it's just contingent upon the presence of God. It's synonymous with the, with the presence of God. It's like, I have joy because I'm in the presence of God, even though intellectually I haven't figured it all out yet. And so this is God in the midst. This is God with us in the midst of uncertainty. And then as you look further at the passage, when, when Jesus begins to, to teach them about who he is, Luke says, and, and their eyes are open to their reality. And then they can look back and they can begin to see why it is Jesus had to die. Because the scriptures talk about it. It is the means by which the sin that, that basically characterizes Israel during this time can be forgiven. So in, in hindsight, they begin to see. But for right now, we're in a period of going through the difficulty. And I would invite you as in your, in your prayers... If, if you are feeling emotionally drained, if you are feeling apprehensive about uh, finances, about the health of loved ones, about your own personal health, invite the presence of Jesus to be with you. You just have to ask. We serve a loving Heavenly Father who desires to give us, Matthew says, good things. Jesus says in Matthew, Luke says, to give us the Holy Spirit. And it is my prayer that you will experience God with you in these moments. And then as we come through out the other side, that you will experience the God who is behind you. The God who makes sense of stuff that we've gone through. But we're not there yet, and that's okay. Finally, I want us to think about, and I'll close with this, how can you be 
God with someone in, in your circle and sphere of influence. Because we have to remember, and I'll speak about more, I'm speaking on Pentecost Sunday where we'll talk about what it means to be clothed with power from on high. We'll talk about what it means to be in Acts 1.8, um, to be the witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So moving in that direction, because you have the Holy Spirit, and, and although we may not have it all figured out, we may still be going through times of difficulty, ask the Lord where He might use you, because you have the Spirit of God within you, to reach out and touch someone else. I remember being at a, at a department store not that long ago, and passed by this lady, and I just felt the Lord saying to me, um, you should tell her that I love her. And uh, I kind of dismissed it, and I was like, oh, am I really hearing this right now? I don't want to hear this right now, and I, I just sort of left it. And I carried on, did my shopping, and then I'm standing in the checkout line. And uh, I look ahead, a few, uh, a, you know, a few people ahead, and uh, there she is at the checkout, and, and I just hear this word, these words very clearly, she is not going to be able to pay for her order. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, I watched things unfold, and she pulls out her phone to do the tap. And, and um, I said, kind of pushing back on the Lord. Well, Peter did it in Acts 10, but anyway. Um, I'm like, look, Lord, she's about ready to pay for this. It's going to be fine. And, uh, and she just goes to tap, and all of a sudden, she's visibly distressed because she realizes her phone just died in that moment. And she's then panicked because there's a lineup now waiting for her. Her groceries and so forth have gone through, and uh, she's visibly distressed. And it's almost like the Lord saying, Rob, what else do I need to do? And I'm like, okay. So anyway, I went up, paid for it, and then afterwards I was talking to her and, and, uh, and just said these simple words. You know, God loves you, and, and I hope that you'll take, you know, me paying for these groceries for you of just a sign that, that God loves you and He hasn't forgotten about you. And so, that's not about me, that's just, and look, I was kind of resistant to helping out, shame on me, but, but the Holy Spirit, God wants to work through us to be a light, to be God with other people. He wants us to be the means by which he can be with other people. And so I'd invite you to look for those opportunities around you in these days, because there will be many and there will be more. And so I pray that the Lord would open the eyes of our hearts as well, so that we could be, in a sense, God with others during this time, just as God is with us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence, for your love and your goodness in our lives. And Lord, our intellects can't comprehend this situation that we're in, how it's going to end, and what it means for us and our society on a variety of levels. But we know that you are a God who is above the world in which we live, that, that you are a God who's not detached but holds this world in your hands. And so we, tr we trust you, Lord, with our future. And in the midst of this time, I just pray, even now, Lord, that those listening to those, this sermon would experience, in Jesus' name, the peace of your Holy Spirit in their 
minds, in their hearts, in their bodies, in their households, Lord. And, and as you minister to us, just your joy and, and your peace, would you equip us and enable us to, to share that with others? Maybe with words, without words, through actions, whatever the case may be, Lord, get, open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see the needs around us and empower us, Lord, to, to be your witnesses to the very ends of the earth. We ask these things in your name. Amen.